The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about bullying, and it is especially painful when our children and teenagers are bullied. Of course, even adults are bullied. I've seen it on listservs. I've seen it myself on the internet but it is so tragic for children to be bullied and so we have this wonderful book that i just got and it's called call me yubby and it's written by joe wojcik who actually is an expert on bullying and he helps kids let me tell you a little bit about him he cares about kids he was bullied himself as a child many of us have been and as, a, as an adult, he's mentored over 100 at-risk teens. He's partnered with the Massachusetts Foster Care Unit to develop educational programs. He's served on the board of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, and developed Say No to Bullying programs for use in schools throughout the country. Joe actually has a lot of fun. He's recently moved to beautiful Florida and um, he has this wonderful book to, to help families and help kids. And we're going to talk a little bit about bullying. So thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. Mari, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, I should also mention that, um, you know, besides writing two books, Yubby, The Fall and Rise of an Everyday Joe and Call Me Yubby, he also is the developer of Say No to Bullying Today program. So he's done a lot of great work, and you can find out more about him at his website at joethebiker.com. But, Joe, so let's talk a little bit about bullying and why is bullying different today than perhaps it was when I was a kid? Well, I think that bullying is somewhat the same. The only difference today is that there's uh, different venues that children can use to bully others, one being the internet. Yeah. And it's huge. I mean, when somebody bullied you at school, maybe some kids saw it, but it wasn't like the whole world could see it, which is just pretty devastating for kids. Right. Or they could go home, and once they escaped the school premises, they felt that they had some type of protection from the bullying following them as far as coming to their house or doing something in their house. Today, because of the mobile devices and the Internet, it's right in front of you all the time. And they just can't get away from it. 
Very difficult, and I do talk to uh, junior high school students and high school students uh, about an attitude to have on the Internet and about posting things, and that's a lot of times children don't understand that uh, anything they put up on the Internet, once they do that, they are no longer stewards of that. It belongs to the universe, and anybody can take it, access it, and use it any way they wish, and they have to really be aware of that because they seem to be quite free about releasing information on the Internet. Yeah. And, and if you're bullying, you know, the bully is looked at quite often as the bad guy. So let's, you know, that can follow you for years. And even if you want to run for office or if you want to get a job, you know, you'll be seen as the bully and it could help, you know, that never disappears once it's on the internet, right? Well, it doesn't. And you, what amazed me at one school I had gone to, um, they had advanced notice of Joe the Biker's performance. And a student came up to me and says, yeah, I saw you on the internet. And to my amazement, had a picture of me in Belize swimming with sharks. Now that, a friend of mine had sent me probably 10 years previous to that. And here it is up in front of me. And I could not believe even how they were able to access that. Right. So, you know, what? it, it just never, ever really will go away. Yep. Now let's talk about the five signs that a parent could uh, discern whether their child is being bullied. Because a lot of times the kids won't tell their parents, will they? No, they don't. And there's a number of reasons why children don't come forward with that. And part of my presentations in school, that's the first uh, letter I use in YUBBY, which is an acronym, is you've got to stand up and tell an adult. But children do have difficulties, and sometimes they're embarrassed. Sometimes they're afraid. It depends on the relationship they have with their parents. Um, so that's an important factor. But as you know, on my website, I have a free Parents' Guide to Bullying, and there are a whole list of different uh, things that parents can look out for. And some of the obvious ones are if your child continuously comes home from school with bruises, damaged books or damaged property or clothing, that's kind of a flag. What really, to me, is the most important is to look for those subtle signs. And some of those subtle signs could be maybe a child stops eating properly, Maybe they cry while they're sleeping. Maybe they take a different way home from school, uh, avoiding the normal path that they would take. So there are a number of real subtle things that they have to watch out for. Maybe the child withdraws which from a conversation. These are subtle changes in a child's personality and behavior that a parent has to pick up. And it may not be bullying. Obviously, it may be something ha- is happening in their life that causes them to act that way. Right. I remember my my son was bullied like in, I think it was uh, fourth or fifth grade. He was a little chubby. And so he was so miserable, but he really didn't tell me this. I just started getting in the mail all of these brochures about private schools. And I was wondering, why am I getting all these brochures about private schools? And finally, he told me, Mom, I want to go to a private school. I called up all these schools and had them send you those brochures. And that, that, you know, that was just so bizarre. And then I said, well, tell me about it. And then he told me, Mom, I hate to go to school. I don't want to go to school. And he's, uh, he was a real bright kid. And in fact, now he has his MBA and he's, you know, from the University of Chicago and he's doing very well. But he went through a really tough time in his life when he was a little guy just being bullied and it it took for you know he just thought well I'll just send this to my mom and then she'll put me in private school and 
I don't have to deal with it again. But of course, I explained to him, it doesn't matter where you are. People can be people wherever they go. So you have to be able to put up your golden shields. And, and we talked about what to do when you're being bullied. And I think that's a, a critical factor that you talked about, is about talking about the subject of bullying. And I encourage parents to have that dialogue while the child is very young so they know what to do in the case that they are targeted by someone who wants to pick on them or, or harass them at school. Um, I never told my parents for a long period of time. But back in my days, bullying was kind of like a rite of passage. It's something that you had to experience maybe in school. And now we know through research that this is a very negative component in a child's life and can have some very serious impacts on their long-term health, not only in the short term, all depending on how they either internalize the uh, episodes or they can walk away from it. So I was very heavy myself when they called me yubby, and I was picked on relentlessly. Um, back again in those days, my parents really didn't think it was a big thing when I told them about it, but I internalized it, so it lowered my self-esteem. It changed my self-image, and it eventually led to substance abuse problems. Uh, I also attempted to take my life when I was a young man because I could not deal with the pain of what I was experiencing. I was so desperate. And, and that is so true, and my heart goes out to you. And, you know, I met the mother of, um, a, of, a, of her mother of a child who did commit suicide, um, one, uh, and you may have read about this, and I'm not going to say any names or anything, but in this particular case, um, this girl had um, had a girlfriend who was jealous of her, and the, she and the mother pretended to be a boy and ended up in like a fake relationship with this girl. And then the mother, who was doing all of this relationship building online, um, broke up with this daughter. And when she broke up with her and saying, you're horrible, you're ugly, you're this, I don't want to have anything to do with you, she committed suicide. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a horrible kind of bullying. But, you know, I remember, too, I remember when I was a kid, um, we moved from one city to another. And right when we were moving, we were in a bad car accident. And my mother was in the hospital, my sister was in the hospital, and I had a broken leg and had some of my teeth knocked out because in those years they had these hard dashboards. And right in the middle of that, I had to go to a new school. And so I got bullied for having this cast on my leg, having my <laughs> teeth knocked out, having stitches in my face, you know, to start school like that. And it was horrendous. I did not want to go to this new school. I didn't know anybody. Nobody was sympathetic. And I had this old bitty teacher <laughs> who did. I went crying to her, you know, because it, it, the, the kids would like throw the ball at me or something during recess. Mm -hmm. And um, she did nothing. And here when I went home, I, you know, my mother was in the hospital and my sister wasn't <laughs> there and my dad was trying to take care of everybody. So it was, I mean, here I am. And that was, I hate to tell you how many years ago, but what is it? Like fourth grade, how old you are? And, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm an old lady now. So you do, it is just very impactful. But I just can't imagine if that all would have been up on the internet, how I, I, I could See, there are so many suicides and attempted suicides by kids who are bullied. It's just exponential, really. It, 
You know, the important thing, and I use that very unique persona as a bullying expert of Joe the Biker to go into schools and perform, mainly because kids really resonate with this uh, unique-looking individual with his tattoos and his bald head doing rap music. Right. However, the message is critically important, and that acronym uh, that we talk about it has those components in it. So the why, as I said, is standing up and telling an adult is important. The you is you have to unite as a community where everybody's respected and protected. Children have to realize the only reason bullying exists is because they allow it to exist in their school. They have to stand up for the rights and protect everybody in their school. And the first B, which is very important for children, is they have to understand that it is not them who has the problem. It really is the bully who has the problem, and everybody is perfect just the way they are. That's the way they were made. They should be proud of it, and they should understand that that other person who's targeting them has something happening in their life where they come to school and they want to be mean to somebody else. So I use that acronym in order to build up that self-confidence of a child in the school to let them know that they're okay just the way they are, and it's really not them who's the problem. It really is that bully who has problems in their life, not them. Yes. So what makes a bully? Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So why does a child become a bully? Well, I think, interesting, as I read about yourself, Marie, uh, your background is in conflict management. Uh, I think what happens is research has proven there's a thread between a bully and their home. Something is usually happening in a child's life that causes them to come to school and act that way. Now, so many times, uh, the way parents deal with conflict in the home is a critical factor. Is there yelling and screaming? What type of uh, discipline they use in the home? All these can be critical factors in creating a bully. And I've had it happen where I've been pulled aside in schools by principals to talk to a student afterwards. And I remember Taunton, Massachusetts, where that happened. And this young student, after my presentation, called another student a name. The principal asked me to go in the office with this student. I sat down and I asked him some pointed questions. How many brothers and sisters he had? And he told me he had four brothers and two sisters. I also asked him, at his home, do they call each other names? And he looked at me like I was, are you kidding? Why are you asking this? And he said, of course we call each other names. I said, well, does your mother and father yell and scream at you? Do you guys fight? And he said, of course. Like, you know, this is a norm, normal, ordinary type day in their home. Well, then I looked at the principal and I said, why are we shocked? Yeah. When a child who has a home environment like that comes into school, they, they don't get what they want. They're acting exactly the way they would act in the home. Why are we shocked? I'm not. Yeah. It's like that poem and uh, that children learn, live what they learn. Do you remember mm-hmm. that old poem? You know, if a mm-hmm. child lives with anger, they learn to be angry. If a child learn, lives with love, they learn to love. And so, you know, it's kind of systemic in our in our society. And somehow we have to kind of break that that whole system. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of responsibility for the schools. Do you think that the schools have that accountability? I don't think the schools have the accountability, nor do they have the resources. That's why when I do presentations, I talk to students to say, one, when you were born, there were no bullies in the crib. And something happened 
between that time of the crib and the first day you come into school. Everybody's usually trying to pass the buck over to the school. Now, granted, the school has to manage situations that occur, but here said, parents have to re- take the responsibility and understand that they're part of the answer. Everything a child absorbs from the time they're in the crib to the time they come to the school is taken in. Every behavior they see in their home is absorbed, and they learn through osmosis to be like their parents. And that's why parents have to be very aware of their behavior in a home. They have to be role models, positive role models. My wife and I fostered over 100 inner-city at-risk teens from 13 to 20 years old. And we would never yell and scream in our home. I would discipline you in a calm manner. We would not argue. If I disagreed with my wife, we would go off to the side and we'd have a discussion. So here we didn't want to present a behavior that these children could see. It was like a video. We didn't want them to see a movie that they were going to go and react to and then act like. And that's what parents have to realize. You know, the the sad part of that is that some of those parents, like the child that you talked to with the principal, his parents probably grew up like that. You know, it was just like a self-perpetuating thing that they don't know any different. They don't have the skills. And that's the problem. If they don't have the skills, they can't teach the skills. So it seems to me, you know, if you're not going to get it at home, I've been a long, you know, for years I've been a proponent of actually teaching conflict resolution skills and teaching peace from the time that kids are in kindergarten, teaching them those skills, because if they're not getting them at home, what are we doing with our society? We're perpetuating that. Right. You know, I I talk to people, being from Massachusetts in our state, uh, if you wanted to get a driver's license, you had to go and take a course and take a test to get it at 16. If you wanted to get a pistol permit, you had to go and take a course and pass the test in order to get a legal firearm. And yet, anybody can have a child. And we as a culture, and that's why so oftentimes I say we can't stop bullying because anybody can have a child. And parents aren't educated as far as how to deal with conflict or how to nurture a child properly. And that's the primary reasons why we have bullies, because parents don't have those resources. And that's why we kind of default back to the school saying, all right, if our culture is such that we aren't educating potential parents, then our schools have to take the children in and teach them how to resolve conflict. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, most of the movies out and the, and the video games, they're very violent. There, you see a lot of bullying in the movies, right? So when you're talking about you didn't want to, you know, you and your wife, when you fostered all these children, you wanted to model the appropriate behavior so it wouldn't be like they're watching a video. But they watch videos. They watch and videos they online. And they watch videos because because those videos are being made and, and apparently they're being watched. And so that creates a, uh, you know, a profit for the movie makers. It's Yeah. So many times, a, a child that wants to watch violence on TV or see it on the Internet or playing games that are violent, I question what their motivation is. Where does that come from? Uh, I know I, I enjoy to have action-packed movies and tend to always like to, to watch very active, maybe violent type of uh, movies that are out there. 
But I understand the need, and the need comes back from my childhood, an anxiety, a frustration, dealing with the world around me. It was a way of release. Nothing feels better than shooting somebody or hitting somebody and seeing blood splatter, not as a joke, but because it's actually a release of built-up anxiety inside ourselves. But I think if people learned other ways to do it, that, you know, that's exactly what I've been trying to teach and why I even have this radio show is because we have to find out better and more effective ways to deal with our anger, to deal with our frustration, to deal with our pain, because otherwise the kids see this all the time and then they do Columbine or, you know, we've, you know, we've had out here in California with the uh, cop killers. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that this, they're, they, people just don't know any alternative that right. that's what they look to. And then, you know, children learn what they live. And if they, they live with seeing constantly movies and, and video games that are violent, it just, you know, it, it becomes second nature to them. So, you know, I, I'm obviously a proponent of the First Amendment that people have the right to create these kinds of things. The problem is, is why are we spending money on that? Why aren't we spending money on movies that are really happy and, you know, that teach us really positive skills? That's Yeah, because our culture needs it. And there wouldn't be any money. And it, we look at the news and we always see negative and we see very small segments about peaceful things. And the reason, again, is it sells. And that's because as a culture, we have a, a need to be able to relieve our frustrations and anxiety of living in this culture. And it's interesting you mentioned how to deal with it, because in my, when I was involved in that serious accident at age 30, that took me 30, 30, excuse me, 17 years to convalesce from, it was in those early years I started to meditate. And it was in my meditations that I started to get flashbacks into my childhood of those experiences I had at being bullied. And it was like an awareness I couldn't even imagine that led me to understand that what defined me as a man had happened to me when I was in fourth grade. And that totally shocked me. And I realized for the first time that my way of dealing with conflict was based on an anger I had inside of me. And I was a very violent person in my teens and in my college days. And the reason behind that was is because I had this built-up anger from all those events in my childhood, meditation. And I believe meditation is a very strong factor in learning how to curb violence because we become more relaxed. We're more capable of dealing with things. We're more capable of understanding there's something greater than just us. And it's a great tool. And I teach conflict management with the Mass Teachers Association and a variety of different organizations. And I like to talk about how to relax, how to exercise, to burn off all those frustrations and anxieties, and you become a peaceful person, and you have no longer that need to go and be violent. And, you know, I think the problem is, is that people don't know how to gently confront, that if they're upset about something, they keep it inside until the point where they blow up. You know? And they let their emotions get carried away. Yeah. And that's the number one thing I talk about the spiral in conflict is it really begins with emotions. 
And if you really want to resolve conflict the proper way, the first thing is to detach yourself from your own personal emotions. As I have consulted parents whose child has been bullied in school, and they call me up and they say, what am I going to do now? And I said, well, what would you like to do? Well, I'm going to call that school up, and I'm going to chew that principal up, blah, 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 blah. And I turned around and said, well, this is what you really want to do is sit back, chronologically list everything that happened, take a deep breath, be nice and calm. Remember, your goal is to work with the school as a team to resolve the matter. Take this whole different approach. Put your emotions aside. We're really looking for a solution. We're not looking to get into this conflict of going back and forth because we'll never resolve anything. So I think you're right on the money. You know, it's interesting because one of my staff told me that um, her son um, had been bullied and bullied and bullied. And finally, he, you know, he hit the other kid. And so I suggested that she call the parents of the other kid. But, you know, she was going to meet with the principal and the principal was going to call the other parents. And I said, well, why don't you talk to the parents? Not in a nasty way, but why don't you talk about the fact that, you know, you apologize that your son hit this little boy, uh, but at the same time, he's been bullied for months, and maybe you could talk about that as parents and collaborate as what to do about that. What are your yeah. thoughts? Well, um, that's one approach, but most psychologists and bullying experts tend to believe that if your child is being bullied, the best thing is not to call the other parent. The best thing is to call the school. Now, you could have a situation where everybody cooperates, but we again, you, we live in a culture where when you say my child did something, well, okay, my emotions are going to get over hand, and I'm going to start um, talking to you in an aggressive way. So you always take that risk. The best way, if it happens on the school premises now, Yes, is to contact the school, and the school should be the mediator exactly. between the two parents. Right. The school should bring in both sets of parents and maybe right. speak to each one separately and then bring them in and try and have some way that they can have the kids reconcile as well because the kids are going to see each other for that whole time that they're in that elementary school, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's why even students, uh, there was an old uh, approach where they sat the two students down and they said, work it out. Well, that doesn't always work either. No. And we've seen where one child that I know, one example where the child at 11 years old went home afterwards and committed suicide. Yeah. If uh, they knew how to work it out, they would have worked it out before and it wouldn't have happened. And remember, the most important thing here is a child in, in elementary school, from a physiological point of view, has not developed the synapses that we have as adults. Right. And so their ability to deal with logic is different than an adult's level to deal with logic. Right. And that's oftentimes why they find themselves in such a desperate spot, because they can't see through it. Where we as an adult, as I guided this one parent, I said, you know, it's really not important what your opinion is. It is not important what the school's opinion is. It's what's important is your daughter's opinion and perception of what actually happened. And that needs to be talked about and clarified. And that's how we resolved it, is that she misunderstood the actions of a, an adult at her school and of another child at her school. And once we understood where she was coming from, we were able to resolve it. But that's critical to understand a child does not have that same ability to deal with logic as an adult does. 
Yeah, and I'm just wondering how often peer mediation is used in the schools to deal with cyberbullying. Do you have any idea about that? Well, it's not used very much anymore. Uh, peer mediation typically can have a positive effect, but you have to leave it in the hands of people who know how to guide somebody yeah, through it yeah. and have the expertise in that area. And that's why you have counselors. A lot of schools that I've been to, they now have an individual who is that contact person in their school, be it a counselor or an expert, who helps resolve the matter. And right. they do. They, they investigate it. They get the facts, and then they bring the facts to the table. And sometimes it needs clarification. So we want to leave it in the hands of the experts because they would have the proper approach to resolving it. Right. Okay. I guess maybe I'd like to see that maybe in high school where the kids are a little bit older. But we are out of time, and we have this wonderful book, Call Me Yubby, and this is by Joe Wojcik. And, Joe, why don't you just give your website, and then it's time to go. www.joethebiker.com. And remember, there's a free Parents Guide to Bullying on my site that parents can sign up for. Well, we surely appreciate it. And thank you for all the great work that you've done and all the wonderful foster parenting that you've given love to all these kids. So you're terrific, and we will talk to you again. Thanks. Thank you very much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on, no, 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine. And visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, you can download podcasts, and you can write us about what's important to you about healing conflict in your own life. Thanks. It's about trust. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.